Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 News Talk Traffic. Good evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. I'm, um, I'm, I'm trying to make the best of it. I'm, I'm trying to remain positive. I'm trying to make an impact where I can and really just sort of the mantra that I'm, I'm holding in my household right now with around this, this COVID pandemic and basically being surrounded by my three kids and my husband every day, day in and day out, is just to try to do one thing great every day. If I can say I did one thing really well, like I made some really good strawberry jam, the other day. Ooh. I, I noticed I, that's not in the studio. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm giving you a hard time. I'll bring you some next time. It wasn't quite ready. Yet. You, you got to <laughs> let it sit for 24 to 48 hours. So, but, you know, I feel like if we can all just kind of say we did something great, whether it's reaching out to a loved one or doing something special with a child or, you know, sometimes even just getting dressed and putting on some nice clothes. You know, I think I think we've got to win. I know people are getting really tired and antsy, and it's, it's a difficult time, but I do think we are definitely coming to the other side of this. Well, that's a great perspective, and uh, I, I like that idea, Nicole, and hopefully we can all adapt that into our lives, and once this is over, we still continue to do it. Uh, you know, that's, that's a great perspective to have. And, hey, how about this? How about we do something great over the next 60 minutes here on Aging Matters? And I, I think that'll be pretty easy because we've got a wonderful guest here on the line. We've got Madeline Ashley with us. She is the owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina. And we're going to be talking about the role of the care manager and the importance of creating an aging plan. And that's that's a little bit of a challenge right now. Madeline, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. I am looking forward to talking with you all. You know, Madeline is an amazing, amazing nurse, and, um, and probably you probably like to think of yourself as a nurse first, and most nurses I know like to think about that versus a business owner, and I've had the privilege of working with her, gosh, I think about t- with 10 years now in various different collaborative groups and different committees and settings, and personally ha- referred clients over to her, and I know that she has just got the biggest heart in the world, so I can only imagine, you know, what this time has been like for you, Madeline. In, in caring for individuals out in the community and trying to be that bridge between that client and their family during a time when we have to remain distant? It's, it's been a real challenge, um, not being able to, to physically be with clients. Uh, I have one client that is on hospice, and not to be able to physically be present with him and continue the conversations I had with him. He's not a good telephone conversationalist. Yeah. Um, and to help him as he gets ready, um, as we he and I discussed, gets ready to meet his wife. You know, I am. Um, that's hard. Yeah. I, I, I run an online group for family caregivers, and um, there's probably almost 1,200 families that are part of that here in the Triangle right now. And 
you know, one of the families, I was just checking in with folks and, you know, just seeing how people were doing. And one of the family members has a loved one in a long-term care community. And for lots of good reasons, they are basically turned into islands unto themselves to protect the vulnerable residents there. Um, But he said, you know, basically he's been living the worst day of his life since the day they shut the doors of the building because he can't see his mom. And so, you know, I think this is, this has been a, it's not the first time buildings have closed down. I mean, there's lots of different times that, you know, you might have a stomach bug running through or a high incidence of a flu or something of that nature and buildings shut down for a period of a week or two. But this has been a very, very long time for a lot of families to be separated from their loved ones. Yeah, I had a, a geriatrician. I've uh, had a couple of clients that have had uh, acute non-virus-related issues that really needed face-to-face visits. And I had one geriatrician ask me about uh, a, a, another client we mutually worked with and uh, asked me, well, is that client on the first floor so I could go and peek, peek outside the window mm-hmm. and communicate? And unfortunately, no, they're not. Um, so that's, that's really, this is really hard on families. Um, but I do recommend if the client is on the first floor and if they'll let you in on the ground to, to go up to the window and, and try to talk with them. You know, I, um, yeah, I heard a really interesting story of um, a person who uh, was living in a family care home and they needed to have um, – uh, there was a potential they were going to have to be sent to the hospital for just basically hydration. and But then if they went to the hospital, they weren't going to be able to go back to the family care home because of the potential exposure to the virus. And so you had a home health infusion organization get very, very creative and because the, 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 the building didn't want to let the infusion people in and, you know, the family didn't want the loved one to go to the hospital. And so they actually ended up, speaking of the first floor, being able to provide the infusion through the first floor window. Oh, my God. Pretty yeah. creative. I mean, I mean yeah. We, we, and, and kudos to the nurse, because I, I honestly believe it's the nurse that, that we nurses are able to think outside the box mm-hmm. and to be able to come up with these creative solutions. I've done it for years. Um, I've been a nurse longer than I'd like to say on the air. <laughs> and and I've, 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 I've had to be creative, uh, particularly when working with someone with dementia. Uh, but in any case, you've got to, you've, and right now we've got to think out of the box. Mm-hmm. We, we definitely um, I, mean, I, I know that when I talked to Darcy, she asked me to take notes and be ready. And so, um, uh, of course, my printer's going down. So to take notes and print it out, I couldn't do. And, um, so I realized I could open up my trifold that I, I do for the various uh, conferences, caregiver uh, summits. And sitting right in front of me is, you know, my name and right under that in bold is are you ready if the unexpected happens? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I looked at that this morning and I went, I can't believe that I'm sitting here looking at that because this is what we're dealing with now. It and truly is. I, my trifold is totally not prepared for this pandemic. <laughs> so c- tell me a little bit about kind of how some of the conversations, when you're talking to you know families that are kind of reaching out to you now, how have the conversations sort of shifted you know, during the COVID pandemic versus kind of the types of things that you were hearing before? Um, I, I find my family very interesting and very fascinating. Um, and some of them are even out of the country. So 
uh, when my last client uh, that I was not able to get to, um, the family just said, thank you. You've done all you can do to this point, and we appreciate all the care you've given now. Now, I am in attempting communication with the community to try to be able to, to monitor uh, some medical conditions uh, and to FaceTime with, with the client. I am worried because she has dementia. If I FaceTime with her, it's going to create agitation all the way around mm -hmm. because I'm not there. So I'm, I'm hesitant to do that, but at the same time, I need to be able to, to, to at least let her see me to know I'm still existing and keep me fresh in her memory. Um, the client that is on hospice, um, the conversations are not virus-related um, and are not grounded in the reality of where their loved one is going. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I find a lot of my conversations right now are fairly normal. The clients, some of the clients I can't get to, the families are, are just frustrated and sharing their frustrations with me because they're out of state and, and even under normal conditions have difficulty getting here. So they're frustrated that I am not able to, to maintain the level of support and advocacy that I normally do. And, you know, they just keep asking, can't you do it? And I keep saying, I'm trying. Um, so I'm trying to support them, the families, in, in ways that I never imagined I'd have to do. So after we get back from the break, I would love to talk a little bit about what you might imagine the aging plan to be after we kind of come out of this veil of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and, you know, whether or not you see conversations shifting or things kind of going back to the way they were and really what the important parts of an aging plan need to be uh, when we're thinking about the future of an aging loved one. We're talking with Madeline Ashley. She is the owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina, and we'll continue this conversation Right after these messages, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of, transition, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It is your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest on the line is Madeline Ashley. She is owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina. And Nicole, we're talking all about what it means to create an aging plan. And uh, right now that seems like a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it, it sure does. And, you know, even at Transitions Guiding Lights, it's um, the conversations, you know, people are feeling like they need to make decisions about the future of their loved one's care. But everything, you know, everything's already confusing it as it is. When you're when you're facing, you know, wow, mom isn't the person that she was before. She's more frail. She's needing some supervision. You know, all those things are already very emotionally intense. And then you're sort of sitting here in the middle of a, a pandemic, which, gosh, none of us in any of our generations have experienced. And then you're trying to figure out, well, then what do I do? Because what is this all going to look like in a, in a few months? And so, um, you know, we're finding that 
at least at Transitions Guiding Lights, that a lot of the families are wanting to start to have a conversation, but they're hesitant to really take the next steps because they're just scared about, you know, what things are going to look like. And they're frankly frightened about the possibility of, you know, another surge happening and then potentially if they place a loved one not being able to see them after they had to make the difficult decision to do a placement. What are you finding, Madeline? I'm finding exactly that challenge. The other piece that I'm also finding is um, one of one of the assisted living communities um, emailed me. I have a client that is going to be very, very challenging to place because of multiple other non-medical issues she has. Sure. And um, the the community said that you know if she's ready now, which fortunately. She should be placed, but it's just not ready. They would, on the uh, once she got there, she would have to be quarantined in her room for two weeks. Yeah, and yep. that adds to the frustration of the family needing to wanting to or needing to place someone to think about the fact that not only could they not see them, mom, dad, or um, the aunt or uncle uh, would have to be stuck in their room with after they've moved to make the move even less even more traumatic um so this is challenging and my my recommendations to the families if there is any way possible to to increase the support within the home Mm -hmm. um while we're waiting for uh the pandemic to for us to move on through this stage of the pandemic and and um not lose the room or the apartment or the community they're looking at continue communication but to find additional support for the family and for their loved one um, during this time. Um, I know it's scary to bring someone from the outside in right now, um, but we've also got to be sure that everybody's safe and that the family caregiver is not totally exhausted. Yeah, so there's and, a, there, um, there, there's a it, huge cost. One of the costs that I think we're going to find out of this, especially with the vulnerable populations that this virus is definitely kind of going after, is the cost of inaction. So it's sort of letting things sit and fester. People are afraid to go to the doctor. People are maybe letting their loved ones sit at home a little longer. And so, you know, there, there's potentially a cost that people who could have lived in a less restrictive level of care may end up having that terrible fall that results in a broken hip or, you know, wandering away and dying of dehydration in the, in the heat or, you know, not getting that, you know, chronic condition taken care of so that they end up hospitalized with something that had they gone to the doctor could have been nipped in the bud a lot earlier. So, I think, you know, part of our jobs as healthcare workers is really trying to help people navigate that and deal with the yeah. anxiety and stress anxiety and stress and help them understand the repercussions of inaction now on the preventative side could potentially create a bigger crisis down the road when the pandemic is is over. Yes, I got a call from a clinic in in the um, on the you know western side of the triangle where I my primary area is, um, and canceling several you know at the beginning of all this, canceling an appointment of a 95 year old who has dementia and other chronic health conditions, and at the time they wouldn't remake the appointment, mm-hmm. 
And when they called me, they said they couldn't reach him. And I said, well, you're not supposed to be calling him anyway. Uh, and my worry is if they're not at least rescheduling appointments for, for older people that don't have an advocate or a care manager, these appointments, they'll get lost, what we call lost to follow-up, but the appointment will never get made again. Right. Um, and yesterday, uh, um, actually, today's Wednesday, Monday night, um, as I, about 9.30, I was catching up on emails uh, for the evening, and I had an email from a friend, and, um, and I use the word friend with a big F, F as I'm a Quaker, um, and she's, um, you know, in her late 60s, early 70s, and she had fallen earlier in the day after having a dizzy spell. Um, and so yesterday when I went over there, uh, she'd finally gotten a call back from the doctor, which she didn't make on on uh, to, to uh, Monday when she had this episode. Uh, and it turns out uh, she's doing really well, and, and I don't think she's going to have any significant residual. But when she went to the um, emergency room, she's had two small strokes. Hmm. Now, you know and I know that stroke is a... Um, is a brain attack like a heart attack mm -hmm. and you need to with the onset of even uncertain stroke-like symptoms get to the emergency room within four hours for care because there are medications that can be given um to that they call clot busters to break up the stroke if it's significant if it's if it's a non-hemorrhagic stroke so yes this pandemic is really impacting um uh, our people that need this ongoing um, support and monitoring well, and, and, truly, and the fear of going in. And truly just even, you know, people like you and I, you know, I had a, an annual uh, GYN appointment that was supposed to be on Monday, which they canceled two weeks ago and has not been rescheduled. But even things like that, where when they do exams and, you know, checks, they can find hidden cancers and things like that. And, and so, you know, there's going to yeah. be a period of months where lots of people have underlying things going on they don't even know about, but because preventative appointments have been, have been postponed, you know, there, there's, there, there are going to be some costs that come out of this once all of the, the scary side of just the virus goes away. And so I definitely think for those listening, you know, if you're out there and you have a loved one and you're probably spending more time with them if you live locally and you're near them and you're really seeing some of the deficits that exist, it is really the right time to start at least having a conversation, a conversation with somebody like Madeline Ashley with Senior Transitions about what the next steps could be. And just because you have a conversation doesn't mean you have to do it. But it's very, very healthy just to talk and to talk about what's going on. Absolutely. Potentially, you know, even if you don't want to bring in an outside home care agency right now because you're worried about potentially bringing in the virus to your loved one's home. It d doesn't stop you from calling them and just getting on their radar and, and you know, just talking about what to expect or making phone calls to these long-term care communities to help you understand what to expect. Um, I think those are all very, very appropriate things. And, you know, we're just coming off the heels of uh, advanced Care Decisions Day, where people need to be, you know, thinking about advanced directives and getting health care powers of attorney and financial powers of attorney and living wills. And, you know, if your loved one doesn't have those things and you're starting to see some things slip, you know, now's the time to reach out to an elder care attorney and start the conversation. And then that way, once, you know, the wall comes down and we can all kind of go about our business as we used to, or at least somewhat close to the way we used to do it, uh, you, you'll have 
have a plan and you can deploy your plan and, and be on the top of folks' lists and really be one of the people that are, are ready to take action um, for your loved one and be their advocate. Absolutely, Nicole. I mean, the elder law attorneys, um, I'm sure all over the country, but, I, but the ones I know in, in, in the triangle are all working hard to do distance, you know, over the phone mm-hmm. or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever um, the family can pull together um, and, and do this, you know, over the phone so you don't have to come in the office. Right. If there is an issue that you have to come in the office for, they are making sure that, you know, you're the only one there at that time yeah. with the attorney. And, and totally um, protected. Or- yeah, everyone is yeah, making these I'm- changes and adapting. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to see because it, it fosters a lot of confidence in people because everyone is a little bit nervous and wants to know that they're safe as well. I want to thank Madeline Ashley, owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina, for joining us this evening. Madeline is SeniorTransitionsNC.com, the best place for folks to find more information? Absolutely. Um, I, it will get to me. Excellent. Again, SeniorTransitionsNC.com. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're welcoming in a, a longtime friend of the program. He's been on the show many times as we're going to have a conversation about hospice care. And to do that, we've brought in Mark Philbrick. He's the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. So glad to have you here today, Mark. I so appreciate working with you and just the spirit of which you um provide education to folks in the community. I think it's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for being you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I think, um, you know, throughout the entire country, we really have, generally speaking, a nursing shortage. And I think a lot of times when people are going to school to become a nurse, and gosh, this area has many, many schools of nursing, um, a lot of time is really not spent on hospice care. And and a lot of people, when they think about becoming a nurse, think about, you know, working in the OR 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 things of that nature, or maybe in a doctor's office. But I don't think people give a lot of thought to sort of the role of nursing in um, end-of-life care and really what some of the rewards are in, in, in going into this field as a career. So I thought, you know, you could potentially shed some light on that and, and, and talk to us a little bit about some of the myths and myth, misconceptions related to hospice nursing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is um, really important. I um, Even in my own career path, in June it will be 45 years I've celebrated being a registered nurse And like many nurses, I just started my nursing career in working in a hospital Mm -hmm. when I was 20 years old. And I did do operating room nursing Mm -hmm. and psychiatric nursing and other career paths. And it wasn't until 30 years into my nursing career that I discovered, or better, hospice discovered me when um, 
my dad and my brother both got cancer at the same time, and I needed the services in my own family. So there are approximately 2.8 million nurses in the United States, and less than 5% of those work in the area of home health and hospice. So um, it is a, a big specialty. Mm-hmm. About 1.4 million people a year die in our country um, in hospice, and so there's a big need for this, and it is not typically or didn't used to be typically part of a nursing curriculum. Um, I serve as adjunct faculty at the School of Nursing at UNC Chapel Hill, and every semester now I do do lectures on end of life. So they have incorporated some of this into nursing school, and we actually do have nursing students six a semester come and rotate through our hospice facility to get a better understanding of what hospice is all about. And uh, more and more nurses in school, as they understand this, see this as a viable specialty um, in their future. So what do you think some of the misgivings are about entering this as a career? Is it viewed as, you know, just you're less than a nurse if you're in hospice nursing? Or, I mean, why do you think, you know, folks generally shy away from doing this at the beginning of their careers? Well, I think a lot of folks, when initially asked what they think when they think about hospice, they think, oh, my gosh, that must be so sad and depressing, mm-hmm. working with people who die all the time. Um, and the reality is that we are working with patients and families at an incredibly important part of their life journey. Mm-hmm. And there's much joy and happiness and fulfillment in it. I think another misconception is that uh, some people conceive of a hospice nurse as like Florence Nightingale sitting at the bedside holding a hand weeping next to a patient who's dying, Mm -hmm. and that's so far from the truth. It is very interactive. It's very demanding. It takes the full scope of nursing knowledge and experience. And I think the other uh, misconception is that um, a lot of nurses think that other aspects of nursing early in their career are much more challenging as far as going into like emergency nursing or intensive care nursing. Um, And many of the people that we recruit into hospice are those nurses who've experienced death not done well in hospitals and find hospice is a a really rewarding experience to help families make this end-of-life journey the best it can be. So what do you find that some of the challenges are for a hospice nurse, um, you know, for, for people even just entering it? You know, when people are sort of switching gears, what are some of the things that folks maybe get surprised about? Um, I think the challenges is that hospice nursing requires the full range of the skills that you're trained as a nurse. Mm-hmm. The physical care of patients, because the patients we work with are extremely complex. Very few people just die of one thing. They have multiple uh, system failures going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's many medications, but then the emotional challenges of dealing with families in distress, um, helping navigate the fear of the unknown with these families. So it is really challenging uh, to really use um, the full set of skills you have. Um, Also, working at people at end of life, we see that it brings out the best in some families and the worst in others. So walking into a situation, the nurses have to be prepared 
emotionally to deal with the emotions that are coming at them. Because um, rarely is a family prepared for the death of a loved one. Mm. Even if the person has been suffering for years, they're still not ready. The other challenge that we face is about a third of the patients a hospice nurse cares for will be dead in less than a week and a third less than a month. So there's much that has to be done, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, in a very short period of time. And the paperwork and so side of it all, too. A lot of paperwork. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, um, it's challenging in many ways, but it is also incredibly rewarding in others. And I think, you know, for those who aren't working necessarily, because there are very few inpatient hospice homes, there's also mm-hmm. a transition, I would say, working in, you know, a building, you know, a hospital setting or, or a doctor's office, and then really just becoming a road warrior with intermittent team meetings, correct? Absolutely. One of the biggest challenges we have in recruiting nurses who are used to working like in intensive care settings or in a very structured hospital setting is um, they are on the road, so they just have logistical challenges of going from place to place. The other part of that is they have to think on their feet. They can't always, you know, in a hospital, you're literally a phone call or just walking down the hall to find a medical resident or somebody who can assist, you know, answering questions. Um, So that's a challenging part of it. The other is um, you're in charge of your own schedule. So a hospice nurse could see anywhere from six patients a day, but they're in the middle of caring for one patient and all of a sudden there's some crisis that comes up somewhere else that they've got to deal with. Or... It could be the family they're with has lots of questions, and it's not like you schedule in an ICU where you're doing vital signs every 15 minutes. Each situation requires um, different amounts of time, and it's hard to anticipate. Or it could be that they had plans to visit five people, and one of the patients died last night, and they've got a new patient that they've got to meet for the first time. So it's that constant thinking on your feet. Mm-hmm. You have to be very, Which very is, pliable um, for sure. So when we get back from the break, what I would really love to dive into a little bit more is really the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic, from what I've seen, has really brought up a national discussion about death and dying. And perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, this may be a time when a lot of nurses even more so are getting exposed to that and may think about perhaps transitioning to a career in hospice and end-of-life type nursing. Mm-hmm. We'll cover that with our guest, Mark Philbrick. He is the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care right after these messages. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett on the line. We have Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. You can find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. And Nicole, uh, you know, we often talk about uh, the need and uh, it's difficult to talk about death and dying, Mm -hmm. but um, 
I guess one of the the few bright sides of COVID-19 is that it gives us a really easy way to start those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing more and more just general people talking about, you know, wow, you know, all the hospitals are talking about putting people on ventilators and needing more ventilators and what in the world is a ventilator and what does that mean? And if I got this virus, would I want to be on a ventilator? So it's really just almost normalizing some of that conversation that has been, frankly, quite taboo. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if anything, that's really given family members a door opener to get some insight into what a loved one may or may not want when it comes to uh, end-of-life care and end-of-life wishes. Would you agree that you've been sort of hearing more of those conversations, Mark? Yes, Absolutely. There's um, a lot of fear, a lot of concern, and a lot of needed education about this whole topic. So I'm, I suspect, you know, especially in the areas where there are hot spots, and thankfully, you know, this area is not one of them, there have been a lot of nurses that have been exposed, or even nurses from this area deployed to areas where there are hot spots, to a lot more death and dying than, um, you know, they would have otherwise. And I think it's probably going to open up a lot of questions for folks as they're coming off of this time and sort of debriefing and going through just the thinking through versus the day in, day out mantra of just doing the, the hard work of, you know, what does this mean for me as a professional? What do I want to do with the future of my career? I know a lot of people, unfortunately and sadly, and even in this area because of the virus, you know, they can't have loved ones if they're in a hospital on a ventilator. So, so we're finding that, um, you know, People who would not normally have to literally be sitting there at the bedside are now doing that to really try to support those individuals who are experiencing some confusion uh, related to oxygen level changes and things of that nature. And so I think people are, just because of the virus, becoming exposed to what it might be like to support someone at end of life. Yes, definitely. Um, in the hospice arena, we have about 40% of the patients we care for are in skilled assisted living facilities or nursing homes. So we have staff on our hospice team that go into these nursing homes, many of which have uh, COVID positive patients. And virtually every patient we care for in hospice is already uh, physically compromised. So they're very high risk. Um, and uh, so our team is protecting themselves, protecting the patients and protecting the families as they, they provide their care. Um, so I do think, especially I've seen and read hospice nurses and intensive care nurses who are very much struggling with um, the emotional impact of dealing with patients who are dying, especially since families are restricted from being present. And it does take an emotional toll. And a lot of what we do with our hospice nurses and our training process is help them deal with their own feelings of death and their own mortality and dealing with handling what grief and losses they've had in their own life so they are more prepared to process that in the lives of those they care for. Well, and frankly, you know, just in society as a whole right now, um, you know, I think what people are experiencing is what's known as cumulative grief, which is, you know, mm -hmm. we are all just, you know, there are th little things and they may seem 
like not a big deal. Why are you even complaining about it? But, you know, things like, you know, not being able to see your colleagues every day, losing a paycheck, perhaps you've lost a loved one during this time and you couldn't have a funeral the way you would normally have had. Child, having to support children who can't go to school, who want, wonder why they can't be with their friends, trying to explain a virus to a three-year-old, you know, not being able to visit a parent in a long-term care community. And so all of these little griefs and losses that we're experiencing don't have to be literal death and dying losses, but they're all building up for folks. And I think there's just a general sense of folks are really starting to get tired. They just, people just want to feel like there's something that they can count on that they have control over that feels normal in their lives. And so then put on top of that healthcare workers who are being faced with the virus day in and day out. I can only imagine uh, the types of supports that administration is having to provide for folks that are truly on the front lines of fighting this disease. That's a really good point. I think when most people think of grief, they think of those who've lost somebody close to them. But grief is a natural response to any type of loss. Mm -hmm. You know, loss of income, loss of relationships, loss, as you mentioned, of our what we think is a normal existence that can be turned upside down, uh, particularly in the situation we're in now. And that those losses and the grief that results from that cause both physical symptoms in people, um, emotional, spiritual sense of loss and disconnection. So it is really important that self-care be emphasized. And we're doing that with our staff, um, sending out encouraging um, communications. Our spiritual care counselors are sending out readings and poems and things that sort of keep us centered and um, focused on the bigger picture of what we're about and what we do. Um, And then really encouraging self-care, going out on walks, um, FaceTiming or Zoom meeting with colleagues and friends and family. All of those just keep us connected the best we can uh, during the challenges that we're facing right now. And trying, and trying to find some humor. I mean, there's so much going around that is so, so heavy. And it is heavy. I mean, my gosh, it feels like the weight of the world, truly. Um, but, you know, just trying to find, as Irma Bombeck would say, some of the, some bless in the mess. Um, and just, you know, just trying to find some of those small moments of joy, even if there's just one thing out of the day that you found simple joy. And I, last night, my daughter was we built a fire outside. She was begging to do this for weeks and finally got around to building a fire outside. She was just as happy as she could be. And she sat on my lap and she said, Mommy, I don't care. And she's seven. When I'm 13 years old, I'm still going to sit on your lap. And I don't care if everybody teases me because I'm always going to love you like this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is so sweet. I could just bottle up the joy. Meanwhile, I'm looking across the fire pit at my 13-year-old who thinks I'm the most unfair and like evil person in the world. So <laughs> I hope she keeps that light. But, you know, just, you know, even if you you just had a really rough day and just trying to find some glimmer of uh, of something, you know, whether it was a, a text somebody sent you or a phone call, some sort of a connection, something beautiful you can, you can see outside in nature. I think those are all, you know, positive things that we can hold on to and realize that they're true and they're real. And yes, this world is flipped upside down, but there are still moments of joy in, in some of the very, very simple things in life, even the fact that we have breath. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. Your story just reminded me of what Mark Twain said. When he was 14, he was appalled at his father's ignorance. And when he turned 21, he was amazed at how much his father had learned in just seven years. 
That's awesome. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, we, uh, we do try to share jokes and, and try to keep it light. I think a good one I heard the other day was that they're now going to require everybody wear masks inside their homes. And it's not to protect them from COVID, but from eating too much. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Mark. I definitely love that. I love love the spirit in which you bring to everything that you do and all that you're doing behind the scenes, working in education at Transitions Life Care to keep everybody feeling uplifted. And, and hopefully we've inspired some people just to think a little bit differently about perhaps what they want to do and realize that Think about who's working today, who are known as the essential workers, because you high school seniors, those are the jobs you want to get. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mark Philbrick, Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. Thanks again for joining us this evening. It's my pleasure. You can find more information about the many services that Transitions Life Care provides by going online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. Org. We're out of time for tonight. I want to thank our guests this evening. We just spoke with Mark Philbrick and also Madeline Ashley earlier in the program. If you missed that, head over to WPTF.com. Head over to the podcast section. There you can find Aging Matters and listen to this episode as well as all of our past episodes of Aging Matters. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic have a wonderful night you've been listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf for more information log on to transitionslifecare.org